0: Hello and welcome to the Blues Podcast. My name is Big Boy Bloater and here with me is Adam Woolley. How you doing, man? I'm not bad at all. How are you doing, Bloat? I'm very good, thank you. I'm very excited actually because I, uh, I the other day I had a lovely chat with the one and only Kenny Wayne Shepherd.
1: Yes, and I was very lucky to listen to that chat. And what a brilliant uh, what a brilliant interview it was. Um, he's, he's an interesting guy, isn't he? He's not just not just all about the blues. Well into his cars. He is. He is. Yeah. I I think the cars was his. He got really excited about that.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know, I was trying to talk to him about guitars and cars and and films and all sorts of things. But I think cars is where he really came alive.
1: But I am interested to hear some of these plastic guitars because you mentioned those a few times and I don't (laughs) really I've never really found out about these. Maybe it's a little bit before my time.
0: Yeah, me too. I think, but um, well, no, I think we're about the same age, aren't we? But uh, <laughs> you wish. No, him and me. That is not me and you. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're just a lad, aren't you? I mean, you know, you know
1: come on, come on.
0: Uh, but um, do you know what? We should just we should just play the interview, really, shouldn't we? And
1: have a listen. Yes, let's do it. This is Big Boy Bloater talking to Kenny Wayne Shepard. So it's Big
0: Boy Bloater here for the Blues Podcast. I bumped in to the one and only legendary Kenny Wayne Shepard. How <laughs> you doing, man?
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm good. It's just so. Random
0: that we ran into each other. I know what are the chances of that? I know, right? It's like we planned it almost (laughs) (laughs) Now last time I saw you you probably don't remember last time I saw you but last time I saw you we spoke about all sorts of things You were telling me about your dad who was a radio DJ Mm -hmm. back in the day and he had this massive record collection Yeah, and that's kind of what got you into a lot of music in the first place what I want to know is out of that big record collection what were the records that you were kind of sneaking off with, taking and thinking, oh, you won't notice that's gone. I'll, I'll just have that.
2: Well, my, the two biggest ones uh, that come to mind are the Muddy Waters album called Hard Again with, that Johnny Winter produced and played guitar on. It was actually that record was done the year I was born in 1977 on a, on a label called Blue Sky Records. And, uh, and the other one was the ZZ Top album called Fandango, which was like a half-live record and half-studio recordings. And that was when, I think at that time, ZZ Top was the largest touring act in the world. They were drawing the biggest crowds out of everyone. And they were just at the prime, man. And, you know, the tone, like Billy Gibbons' guitar tone. It's like if you wanted, if you were to ask me, like, what is the quintessential Les Paul guitar tone, I would point you directly to that album and those live tracks because it's just ungodly the sound he gets out of that thing. So those are the two most frequent albums that I would kind of sneak off with. Go into my grandfather's room, put him on the, the record player and turn the stereo up so loud that he would come down the hall telling me to turn that turn that mess down, you know, and <laughs> jumping up and down on the on his bed playing air guitar and things like that.
0: So how old were you then? Roughly how old? Oh,
2: Four,
0: five, six—you know. Wow. Yeah. So, did you have any kind of clue about what it was that attracted you to that, or is it just like a crazy sound that you've—it was, was just
2: a feeling, you know, and the the personality, and and certainly the guitar playing and the music.
0: Looking back on that on that tone now, you know, was it something you was always there? That you realised straight away that tone was like legendary, or is that grown because now you know the, the album so well?
2: Well, I think that I think what I knew at that age was that. The, i like the way the music made me feel and i know looking back now that i was always as i was listening i was always focused primarily on the guitar as the main instrument that caught my ear yeah. beyond anything else including whatever the vocalist was doing uh, i was always just innately tuned into the guitar um but you know, I think that uh, you know the, the sound, the actual sound. That's something that you know I think a, 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 an artist kind of cultivates over the life of their career. And to me, that's the pinnacle of Billy Gibbons' guitar yeah, tone yeah. right there. Now yeah. you know he may really dig you know the sound that he has now better than what he had then. But to me, that was like that was it. You know, he had reached the holy grail of of guitar tone for a Les Paul right Nowhere there. Nowhere else to go, eh? No, that's <laughs> it. That's the top of the mountain.
0: So was this about the, the the time that you were sort of being given these plastic guitars? As, yeah, as, yeah. I mean, yep. How did that work out? You're hearing this great electric guitar sound on record, and you've got this plastic guitar. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was,
2: yeah, didn't I, I remember not understanding how how they got? I didn't realize the difference between the guitars at that point. You know, I just knew that what I was doing sounded nothing like that. And then I remember even after I got my first electric guitar. Sitting down and trying to learn some Jimi Hendrix songs and going, how am I supposed to get these sounds out of this thing? You know, and that's before I realized that there were effects pedals and, you know, like the Octavia or the Wawa pedal or whatever. I was like, he's doing something that there's something going on there that I don't have access to. Some kind of
0: voodoo. Yeah, something, you know. So you started off on these plastic guitars that you kind of got through pretty fast. Mm -hmm. You went all the way up then to uh, Fender actually making you a signature guitar. I mean, how's that working out for you?
2: (laughs) Oh, it's great. Um, So we did, I think they introduced that model in 2007, and it it was on sale for a long time. We had three different models and we started off uh, where they made them in mexico uh, at their plant there they they assured me they were like the quality is is really great but it helps us you know put it at a price point where it's you know within reach for young people because there's a lot of young people um that hear you know they're familiar with my story they're they're uh you know fond of blues music and and we wanted them to be able to afford the guitar. So um part of the deal with doing that was that eventually we would come out with a new version that was made in America for a, a little slightly higher price point, a little better build quality. And so we've just finished the design for that, and that's going to be be released oh, cool. summer of next year. So that should be, you know, really exciting because you know they've had those guitars. For more than 10 years now and you know everybody's bought one that's going to get one and so now we have an, a whole new design with new features and things yeah. like that sort to give the fans something new to sink their teeth into and get their hands on
0: yeah so when you get a signature us, i mean how much design do you get to put because i mean it's such an iconic design already it's been around for so long everybody's so familiar i mean how much do you get to put your own personality on that guitar
2: you can be as involved or as not involved as you choose right. to be And I personally am a very hands-on artist in everything that I do, whether it's the designs for our merchandise uh, or the production of the record or the arrangements of the song or the set list for the show, so forth and so on, all the way to, obviously, if I'm going to be putting my name on a guitar, you know, I want to make sure that it has the things that I would want in a guitar on it. So... You know, I was very instrumental in every step of the process, and especially in the in the first guitars. And then this one, we took taken even several steps further with the design of the new one. And so, you know, I think they would let you dig as deep as you want to go over there. Yeah. Or maybe there's some guys that are like, "Hey, man, just put something together and send it to me, and I'll say yes or no." But just I'm not. Just stick my guy. name on the top. You know? Yeah, just I'm not that yeah. guy.
0: No. Yeah, yeah. So, are you playing one? Uh, touring at the moment? I mean, Not over
2: here. Over here, I'm still playing the previous signature models. Okay. Uh, once it comes out, though, uh, you'll start seeing me so playing
0: Are you kind of obliged to use this guitar now? I mean, if a, if a really, really sweet Gibson turned up, are you thinking, oh,
2: man? I play I Gibsons know. as well. Yeah. Like, in the States, uh, the first three songs of the show, I'm playing a Les Paul. Yeah, I mean, look, I've been a Fender guy since I was a teenager. I mean, I signed on as a Fender artist when I was 16 years old, um, yeah. and have been ever since. So this is almost like 30 years now. Yeah. Um, you know, so I love the guitar. Like everything about a Strat feels just perfect to me. Uh, I do enjoy playing other guitars as well, and especially in the studio. You know, there's just like some songs you go, that song needs a less ball yeah, on yeah. it it's yeah. just you know so you get a less ball and you play it um so yeah it's what's most appropriate for for the music
0: yeah okay i've got a moral question for you now this is a real tough one so uh, you've got your favorite guitar in one hand a baby in the other arm someone throws a can of beer at you which do you drop Oh, you dropped the guitar. (laughs) You know. Really? Yeah. I would have said drop the beer. No, but,
2: no, you, well, (laughs) oh, yeah, well, that makes sense. But, I mean, I I thought maybe you meant to deflect or protect, (laughs) but you would drop the, I would drop the guitar, the guitar would, I mean, my guitars have hit the floor many times, and they've been just fine. I certainly wouldn't drop my child.
0: You know? <laughs> Children do heal up quite well, though, don't they? I mean, come on, you must have dropped them a Well, they're of resilient times. little yeah. beings. You know, <laughs> it's
2: amazing. You can watch a little kid like walk a few steps, and then just hit the floor, and then just get up and and walk right away. Where you know, like somebody my age hits the floor yep. like that, you're gonna you have to collect yourself. Tell me about minutes. it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah. yeah okay so that's good to know then yeah you, you, you'd you catch the beer but let the guitar go well that's, but i don't yeah. drink I, I wasn't i didn't realize
2: the question was <laughs> about catching the beer i thought it was protecting I see, yourself i see yeah, yeah. okay because i'm not i don't drink alcohol that's what we're really. saying I'm not, yeah, I, okay. I, it, they, I found the world is a better place for me and everyone else if i don't drink alcohol <laughs> how long
0: has it been uh almost 17 years okay that's that's great man yeah that's fantastic yeah. you don't miss it at all
2: not one bit actually i found that uh, my life, personally, for me, has been far more enhanced without things of that nature than it ever was uh, when I was choosing to drink. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. and I, I feel I'm much more present uh, for everything. Uh, I have much more clarity and uh, I can remember things much better, you know. So, like, <laughs> when a really great thing happens, I'm able to enjoy it and be there 100%
0: for the experience, you know. Yeah. yeah. How do you deal do- With being around drunk people because aren't drunk people like the most boring people in the world? (laughs) Well, look, I mean here's the
2: thing just because I choose not to drink and I feel like it's not in my best interest to do It doesn't mean that it that you shouldn't drink or yeah. Yeah, you know, so that's an individual choice, right? So I don't have any problem with Being around people that are drinking or I don't have a problem with like people that choose to drink or whatever That's your own personal choice. Now. There is a point like yeah. for, I think for all of us, <laughs> um, when you're around people that have maybe had one too many or two too many, or maybe 10 too many, mm-hmm. I think every one of us kind of reaches a point where it's time to go, you know? And yeah. for me, I just know when it's time to go. Yeah. Uh, just because, uh, you know, I've had my fun and, and they're at a, they've kind of gone beyond a certain point And so, uh, we're not going to be relating on the same level you yeah. know for the rest of the evening. Yeah. So, what's yeah.
0: the point? <clears throat> Once they start getting into that sort of repeating phase. I, yeah. I love you man. I love yeah. you. <laughs> you know I love you so much. Yeah. It's like okay. I heard you the first time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, let's let's change the subject a little bit. I want you to tell me about Noah Hunt. Yeah. Now, do you think between me and you? Mm-hmm. Is he kind of like stealing the limelight just a little bit? Do you have no. to like pull him back a tool at times? So, no, no, come all. On. It's my It's my name on, on the marquee here. No, come on,
2: come on. I've never had that problem. I mean, I've just, I'm not the kind of guy, like I, f- I just feel really comfortable with my own position and my own band. Yeah. So I don't feel like um, the need to like try and dumb down what everyone else is doing so that I can shine. I feel like I try and surround myself with what I believe are some of the greatest musicians around. Yeah. Because they're great at what they do. And for me to try and put a, damp- a damper on that uh, for some kind of selfish gain, I think would be doing everyone a disservice. So Noah and I have a really fluid and very, um, you know, it's a synonymous kind of thing that we do on stage. We've been doing this together for so long um, that we kind of just know how to compliment one another. His voice has always complimented my guitar playing and my songwriting um, very well. Yeah. Um, and over the years, I've started singing more and more. And now we're just about sharing almost, he's about 60% and I'm about 40% as far as lead vocals go. But rather than, you know, it'd it be a situation where it's like, okay, I'm going to sing now and, you know, thanks you know, yeah. thanks for all your help over the years, but I'm going to take this over. It's like, right, yeah. he's part of the family. I mean, he's been with me for over it's like 22, 23 years. And, you know, he's got a great sounding voice. And he also frees me up um, on the songs where he's singing lead vocals. And I can just concentrate on, you know, playing all the guitar that I want. Yeah. And then I also have the opportunity to sing lead vocals whenever I choose to do that as well. And then he gets the chance to play some rhythm guitar behind what I'm doing. So...
0: Are there any ever po- any points where like Noah's singing a song? And I mean he's a great singer. I think he's a fantastic singer, Noah. Yeah. You know, he's singing a song and it's a really great song, and you think, oh gee, I wish I could have sung that song. No, 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 because
2: in the studio, that's where I, I determine all of that. In the studio, it's like I write songs and then um, I can pretty much tell when, when the song is written who I think it's going it's going right, to be yeah. most appropriate for. There are the times occasionally where I will write a song and I'll think. I'm going to sing that song in the studio. Then I'll go into the studio and I'll try singing it. And I'm not happy with it. you know. And I'm just like, it just doesn't sound... It didn't work out the way I thought it was going to. So then Noah ends up singing it. There was also have been times where... I thought this is a song for Noah to sing. Noah sang the song and then I ended up going, you know what, let me take a stab at that and I actually like the version with me singing on it better. So, you know, it just really depends on what's best, but most of the time it's it's kind of predetermined and, and I generally have a pretty good instinct on who's gonna be the right voice for that song.
0: Yeah. So, there's no, there's no dirt to dish on Noah, then. We can't, that's not an avenue we can go down there like, say, oh,
2: Well, you're not going to get much dirt from me <laughs> on anybody. I'm just not that kind of guy. But, you know, he's I, what, what can you say bad about him? He's a good guy. He's got a killer voice. Yeah. And uh, he's been a part of the family for a long time.
0: Yeah. Where did you guys meet? Do you remember the first time you met?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, I had a different guy singing on my first record. Um, I, I sang one song on my first album. And then after that, I just did background vocals for the next couple of records but um I just at that time I sounded like a child like my voice <laughs> I literally sounded like a child and that was not what I heard from my music um so I didn't have a problem you know I talked to Derek Trucks about this I'm like man does everybody give you a hard time about not singing like they did me and he's like oh yeah man all the time and he's like but you know I have standards you know and uh and I agree I was like yeah man if I have Standards for my music and if my voice isn't up to those standards I don't have a problem finding somebody who has the voice that meets those standards So we had a different guy singing on the first record We did the first album in a tour and that album was extremely successful It sold like half a million records in the States really fast. The first single went to number five on the rock charts Uh, Eventually, we sold a million copies went platinum, but things didn't work out with me and the lead vocalist at the time and so we parted ways. So right before we were going to record the second album. So then we had to find a new singer. And so uh, we put out the word and we flew like 12 different guys down to Louisiana. And we held auditions. And uh, we got a rehearsal space and, you know, told all 12 guys, learn these three songs. Yeah, And... Be prepared to jam on something and we just started bringing them in one at a time and and it was pretty obvious i think it was between noah and this other guy but it was pretty obvious that noah was probably the right guy for the job yeah. and so we did the you know audition and then i took him out later that night because i felt like i should get to know him a little better and we kind of hit the town and had had a rowdy uh experience <laughs> that evening and uh you know kind of stayed out all night and then Played again together the next day, and then sent him home on an airplane. Let him know. I think a couple of days later, he got the job, and within two weeks, we're in the studio recording the second record. And here we are, 23 years later.
0: Wow. Yeah. So the other guy who almost made it, did you still keep his phone number just in case? Like, no, you know, I can't. Still got I, it these days, I don't remember his name <laughs> now. Um,
2: you know, dangle was, over
0: Noah's head every now and then and say, "Come on, Noah." You know, no, like,
2: but he was a, the guy was a really good singer. But you know, I, I've just always had a pretty good instinct on you know what what I, you know, think was right for my music. And, you know, the guy technically had, had all the chops, but there was something that seemed most appropriate about Noah's
0: voice. Yeah, he's a great singer. I mean, yeah. I, I think he's fantastic. The work he does with you is amazing. Um, apart from talking to multiple press people before shows and, you know, eating up all your time, what do you do like to do before the show? Is there any pre gig ritual for you? No, we're not very ritualistic we just kind of you know we we like to get
2: out and walk about the town and kind of see you know what's around um we're big food people right you know we're foodies in the band so you know because we don't we don't have a big nightlife so we during the daytime that's where we get out and we go and try and find really great food uh Usually, we want to find, like, a local place. We try and stay away from chains as much as possible yeah. <laughs> and uh, and find something that's unique to the area that you can only find there and, and that's extremely well-reviewed and have a great culinary experience.
0: Yeah. So, and after the gig, conversely, I guess it's just pretty much a quiet wind-down, is it? Yeah, we of? just yeah.
2: kind of wind down, you know, you know, talk, hang out, whatever, and until it's time to...
0: Don't kind of analyze and go, well, you know, this mistake was made tonight and, uh, you know, we've got... Tighten this up tomorrow. If there's anything
2: about that, it gets dealt with directly after the show. Right, it gets brought yeah. up. For, because for me, if I, if I don't deal with it right in the moment, I'll forget. Yeah. So if there's something that happened on stage, then I'll be like, hey, you know, we need to address this or this or this or whatever. And then we just move on from it. And, and,
0: yeah. and that's that. And it's done. Yeah. Done and dusted, eh? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what's the worst part of being on the road for you? I mean, the biggest challenge, uh, the two
2: biggest challenges. The first, obviously, is being away from my wife and my children. Uh, that's made easier because of technology. You yeah, know, sure, yeah. we can stay in touch a lot better and we can do the FaceTime on the phone and see each other, which helps a lot, but there's still no substitute for actually being at home with yeah. your family. That and then just the travel, I mean, you know, the work out here is is the travel. That's mm-hmm. the work part of the job. The because Playing music and being on stage in front of the fans—that's fun. You know? That's the easy part, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you know, it's like you know, the the laborious part of the job is just the travel.
0: Yeah. Is there anything you do to kind of get you through that time? Is it you know, you're into books, or is, uh, it, is it TV on the bus and you're watching what's this program you just just discovered?
2: Well, I, the bus is <laughs> is not a, a an issue. Like you know, the bus is a great way to travel. I sleep really well on the bus going down the road and. Yeah, you can watch, you know, something on the television or... Is it
0: goggle box you've just discovered? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's
2: my new favorite show. It's hilarious. Um, but, yeah, so uh, it's airplanes, you know, that really can just be the biggest, uh, you know, pain sometimes. But, you know, you load up your reading material or, you know, download some movies on your phone or your yeah, iPad yeah. or whatever. And, yeah.
0: You know, pass the time. Have you got any sort of favorite type of movies? You know what's... Uh
2: you know what? It's so weird. I've seen, like, especially on the airplanes, like, they have their in-flight entertainment. Yeah. And I've we fly so much that I have seen nearly every single movie <laughs> that is available on the airplane. So now I'm just having to re-watch movies that I've already seen before because I've already seen them all. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But I don't have a favorite. I mean, just anything that's entertaining. I don't like, you know, if a movie's crap, then I'll just turn it off, you right. know.
0: You don't have any kind of favorite genre, like action or comedies. I like action
2: comedies. I mean, you know, I I like just about anything if it's
0: done well. (laughs) Now, there's the thing, isn't it? If it's done well. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, You're married to Hannah Gibson, right? Mm -hmm. And that's Mel Gibson's daughter. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how did you guys meet? Just mutual
2: friends, you know, in L.A. Uh, I've been out there for a couple of years and just kind of ran into each other. And uh, it was one of those really strange things where, uh, you know, I I was not in a relationship. I was not looking to be in a relationship. But the moment that I saw her, I knew that I was going to marry her. It was crazy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so we took our time. We didn't rush into anything. Um, You know, because it's like in theory, I believe – Uh, i'm kind of old-fashioned i believe marriage is supposed to be a a very long-term commitment you know should be till death do us part um in an ideal scenario and uh so there's no sense in just rushing right into things i think kind of people fall into a trap with that so we took our time and uh, we didn't rush into a marriage but we planned on it and we did it and we've had a extremely uh satisfying marriage together with a great family with great children and you know, all I'm just very happy.
0: Yeah, it's good to hear these days. Yeah,
2: so. uh, how'd you get on with uh, with Mister Gibson? Great. You know, I I you know I had never had a problem being around famous faces because at a young age, like because of my dad, yeah. I was going to all these concerts and seeing all these famous people. I mean, like iconic people like James Brown, you know, like everybody knows James Brown. And like, you know, he was like Uncle James to me (laughs) because we spent so much time with him and he was like part of the family. And so, you know, every artist that came through town, no matter how big they were, it's like I was always hanging out backstage with them. So I at a very early age, I came to realize that famous people are just still people, yeah, sure. you know, yeah. just more people know who they are, you know, yeah. and so I've never been awestruck really, um, and, and, or uncomfortable around really famous people. So that was not a barrier for me to overcome. Uh, and he was, you know, he was just always really nice to me. And I think that, you know, the main thing is, is that they saw that I had a tremendous amount of respect for their daughter. And, uh, you know, my intentions with her were honorable. And, and so I think that, you know, as a parent, those are two of the most important things. And yeah, so yeah. we had that squared away from the get go.
0: Yeah. And what, how, how's he, how's he react to your music? Has he got any of the albums? Do you, Oh yeah. Have you ever like walked in and caught him listening to an album, you know? No, no, no. But,
2: <laughs> but no, he, he told me, or, uh, he had told me that years ago when my first album had come out, he was doing a film. Uh, the North Carolina or South Carolina or whatever, but he, he had a driver at the time that would drive him you know, to the set and everything, and that guy actually turned him on to my music back then on my first album, gave him a copy of my first album, so he had been familiar with my music before he met me, um, and he's been to many of my shows and stuff, I don't know that he like in his spare time, he's trying to rock out to his son-in-law's music, but I do know that he can appreciate it and he certainly has shown up you know there and been there for me uh, at some of my shows in the yeah. past
0: and is that vice versa i mean what do you think of his films oh
2: ah, i mean i think he's one of the greatest actors of our time and directors as well yeah. you know and he's tr- a tremendous talent i don't think anybody can take that away from him at all
0: absolutely you know? yeah let's talk a little bit about uh, the rides because uh, this is a band that you've worked with previously mm-hmm. uh, what's happening with those guys these days
2: well, um, you know, Stephen had been on tour with Judy Collins back in the U.S. They did a tour together. And so at the time, we, I was out with my band touring for our previous album, Lay It On Down. And then I did The Traveler and had that ready to go. So then we released The Traveler this year. And we've been out doing that. He's been at home. Uh, just kind of spending time with his family. I know he's like remodeling his house and things like that. Uh, Barry's just kind of been ready to go uh, at a moment's notice. But uh, Steven, between really the main thing has been my schedule Yeah. because uh, I've been so busy. So we haven't had a chance. Barry and I uh, got together about a year ago and started writing some songs in anticipation for the next Rides record. But we really have to get the three of us back together to, to really do that properly. So, you know, we've talked about it. I think everybody wants to do another album. Um, it's just a matter of finding the right timing for it. Yeah,
0: yeah. Getting the three diaries to match up, eh? And, uh...
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, you got three different guys, three different artists, all with their own independent careers and, you know, trying to find that magical opening in the schedule that lines up. That's yeah. the challenge.
0: I, w- I wanted to ask you, I meant to ask you a minute ago, when the touring is, finally finished, you know, you've got a couple of weeks off maybe, you can go home with the family, it's a real chilled out Sunday morning, the day is yours, what would you like to do? What would be your downtime, what would you do?
2: Well, I mean, generally, you know, we just, especially on Sundays, we either go and spend time, you know, with my in-laws, or if we're at home... Uh, then we just, you know, spend the afternoon outside, you know, and in the backyard, maybe turn on the jacuzzi, have the kids in the swimming pool, put some music on, you know, cook some food, just really take it easy and enjoy some quality family time with a minimal amount of distractions, you know.
0: What sort of music would you play at home? What do you, what do you listen oh, to? I mean,
2: I play, you know, I play blues and rock right, and roll yeah. at home yeah. you know. or you don't, you
0: don't like to get away from that thing i've done that on road on the road all the time i wanna hear something completely different now
2: well no i, I mean uh, sometimes but you know i i really enjoy like 1940s like swing music you right, know yeah. and jazz but but i love i love i'm a fan of blues music and rock music so that's what i like listening to as well i hear plenty of other stuff my kids will play you know other music my wife plays other music so i get i get my fill of other genres as well, yeah. Whether I want to or not, yeah. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, If it's if I'm controlling the dial, you're most likely going to hear blues and and rock and roll and yeah. you know, or, or or something that has some, you know, a little bit of history behind it.
0: <laughs> what would you do if one day one of your kids came up to you and said, "Dad, I think you know blues is stupid, guitar stupid. I'm getting a saxophone and I'm joining a jazz band." I'd say, "Great, go for it." <laughs> yeah, I would say.
2: Blues is not stupid, <laughs> and guitar is not stupid, but go get yourself a saxophone and
0: knock yourself out. You Would know? you encourage them into the into the music business?
2: Well, I will encourage them into pursuing anything that they think they may be passionate about. So if it's guitar, if it's saxophone, if it's art, if it's sports, if it's, you know, whatever. I just want them to, to know that if they want to do something, uh, they can do it, you yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, at least give it a shot and see, see where it takes you. And maybe that leads you to the next thing that you want to do, but you know, just go out and do it.
0: You're not like encouraging them to be a, a doctor or a, or a lawyer or something? That you know? too, I, I'm not <laughs>
2: encouraging them any, either, in, in, anyway. I, I'm only encouraging them to apply themselves. Yeah. Uh, encouraging them to know that nothing stands in their way. You know, the only thing that stands in their way would be themselves convincing themselves for whatever reason that they can't do it but to be, only to believe that you can do whatever you want to do and whatever you put your mind to yeah. and And absolutely go pursue that, you know, and so if it's being a lawyer or a doctor I mean who am I to say it's their <laughs> lives, you know, but I will facilitate uh, as much as possible You know opportunities for them to pursue anything. They feel
0: passionate about that's great I mean well... Well, great dad. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's I mean, fantastic I, you know, man. That's yeah. what,
2: and we want for our kids. I think as parents, we all want our kids to have more, even more opportunities. than we did. For me, it's an exceptional situation because I had incredible opportunities come my way at a very young age. It's not the norm, um, but you know, I feel like that was kind of a, almost like a predestined. Situation, you know as, as weird as it is to say that I feel like I was truly This is what I was put here to do and one way or the other it was going to end up happening Regardless, so yeah, yeah. Um, that's not that's not the case all the time with every single person but uh, I do believe that you know, they should Absolutely believe that whatever they that they want to do they should be able to do it
0: if you woke up tomorrow morning and for some awful reason you couldn't play guitar anymore what else would you do?
2: Well, from the very beginning of my career, when before anybody knew if it was really going to pan out, I was doing some of my first interviews, and they were like, "So, what are you going to do if this music thing doesn't work <laughs> oh, out?" Really? And I, all, yeah, well, because you never know. It's kind of like hitting the lottery, you know? Yeah. If yeah. you think about the amount yeah. of people that buy lottery tickets versus the amount of people that win the money, it's kind of would be about the same odds as how many people would want. To be a, a musician or a famous, you know, artist, and then the people that are actually able to, to, uh, you know, put food on their table yeah. doing it, uh, it's a small percentage. So. Um yeah, I, I always said that I would do something with cars, and uh, you know, at that time when I was young, it was about racing them, and I would be right, uh, yeah. I would be the driver, you know, of a race car. Um, I think now I'd be a bit too old for that. Uh, so, but always I've had a passion for cars. My music has afforded me the opportunity to pursue my passion with cars as well. So it's like my side. Hobby, but sometimes it's a toss up as to which I'm most passionate about. Is it the cars or is it the guitars? Um, But I love it. And so, you know, I would, I don't know, I would probably start, you know, open up a shop, restore. I've been, I I customize and restore uh, classic American muscle cars now for myself, Mm. Um, but maybe I would try and make a, a, you know, a career doing that.
0: So are you working on something at the moment?
2: Yeah, I have a nineteen seventy Plymouth CUDA convertible oh, nice. that we've uh, yeah. torn apart and started the metal fabrication on and it's gonna be a, you know, a pro touring machine, you know, it's gonna have lots of modern technology in it. We've got a 707 Uh, supercharged hemi-crate motor that's going to go into it. It's going to be plenty fast and have lots of style and classic looks to go with it it's going to be a a fun machine when it's all said and done.
0: Sounds awesome, man. I used to have uh, an old 65 Chevy panel van. Oh, yeah. Absolute piece of shit. (laughs) Uh, You know, the hardest thing for me was holding it together. You know, in the end, it actually was held together with a gaffer tape. (laughs) You know, it was... uh, And I think classic cars, they're either one way or the other, they're either like properly low-end kind of, a real s- snotter is what we call them in this mm-hmm. country, a s- absolute snotter, or that lovely, lovely high-end where everything's just rebuilt mm-hmm. beautifully and all that, and I take it you, you, you're you more kind of like the high-end sort of stuff. Yeah, we know?
2: try and buy base model vehicles, so we buy the cheapest version of the, we get the body that we want, but yeah. instead of buying the very rare collectible uh cuda convertible that they only made 112 with this engine and this transmission and you know we buy like the one that had like you know the v6 yeah or you know or actually it was a straight six back then but anyways uh, the six cylinder or the smallest v8 that would be like the cheapest version of that car because what we want is the shell so then we tear it all apart down to bare metal we fix everything about the metal that you know tighten everything up then we put Tons of you know, modern technology into the vehicle to make it handle and perform like a modern vehicle, and then you know when we're done, everything is brand new yeah. and uh, you know, it's like driving a new a new old
0: vehicle yeah. Yeah, much better than my experience, I can yeah. tell you. <laughs> is there a, like a holy grail of, of of motor vehicles for you now? Something that you really would love to get your hands on? Well, one that day? was
2: it for a long time. Right. I wanted a seventy Cuda convertible. So this is like you know been a goal of mine, and you know a car that I've wanted for at least fifteen years. That's now coming you know to fruition. So once I have to get this finished first, I can't move on to the next. Yeah. I, I'm I'm a task person. So I'm task oriented. So. I I start an endeavor and I have to complete it in order to move on to the next. So I don't have my eyes set on the next one yet. I have to finish this one and then I can answer right. that question
0: for you. So uh, it, when you finished it and the journey the journey's kind of done, it's all done and everything's brilliant and it's is that the point where you sort of go okay I'm going to get rid of that now and move on to something no, else? No,
2: I haven't gotten rid of any. I've got I've only gotten rid of one car and it was it was I just never really related to that vehicle very well. Uh, what was it? It was a 1950 Ford Business Coupe. Okay, yeah. it's a beautiful car, yeah. but I just never really connected with the with the car. But all my other cars, I've kept, and I've I have these sentimental attachments to them, and because I use them, like you know, they're not just like eye candy. They yeah. Know, then it's not like a trophy for me. Like I get in the car and I drive it and we go on cross-country road trips with my friends, you know? And yeah, yeah. so we have all these experiences and these lifelong memories of these journeys and these vehicles. And so then it becomes almost like a member of the family to me. Yeah. Um, so no, I, I'm not into... There are guys, though, that like it's all about you know the process and then once the process is complete then they kind of lose interest in that they sell that and they move on to the next project you know but for me it's 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 the entire thing but it also includes the ownership you know
0: going back to guitars is that kind of the same thing do you do you get quite sort of attached to guitars as well Yeah, I've never
2: sold an instrument so I you know I've every instrument that I've ever had and I'm not a collector I don't consider myself to be a collector I have a lot of guitars I've never counted them all (laughs) I don't know exactly how many I have but I don't acquire them you know as a collector would I acquire them like almost like a mechanic acquires his tools Yeah. You know, so he doesn't consider himself to be a tool collector. He gets the tools that he needs to get the job done the way it needs to be done. And so that's what they represent to me, the instruments, you know. And and uh I had one uh, 1958 Strat that I bought back in the 1990s that was in perfect condition. It was looked like a brand new guitar. And then I proceeded to play it on stage every night and within a year or two, I had like destroyed the finish oh, on yeah. this, you know, just worn <laughs> it because I'm a very aggressive player and I play really hard and I play heavy strings and a heavy pick. And so, you know, the original collectability of that guitar would be that it was a such a pristine example. And so for a collector, like I have really diminished the value of this guitar because I just wore the finish <laughs> off so badly. So uh, I realized then, um, I'm not meant to to be the uh custodian of these impeccable impeccably preserved instruments because I'll yeah. play them because I believe they're meant to be played and I'll play them so hard that it will destroy you know mm-hmm. the the well the value based on its you know retained originality. So I just decided I I don't need to go down that road because you know I have plenty of guitars and they yeah. all serve a purpose but I'm not a uh A collector of pristine original examples because I'll destroy that.
0: Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. (laughs) Do you still have any of the plastic guitars left?
2: I don't, you know, but it would be cool to get my hands on one. I'm sure you could probably find one on eBay or something like that. I mean, I can remember exactly what it looks like in my head, so it wouldn't be hard to to spot one if I saw it. But no, I mean, I literally would wear those things out, and then you know, we would toss them in the trash, and my grandmother would go get me another
0: one. (laughs) You know. disposable guitars huh? yeah yeah <laughs> uh, I like it um, if there was anyone alive or dead that you could have a guitar lesson with or a jam with who would it be for me it would be Jimi Hendrix wow, yeah. you know I think for, for
2: a lot of people it'd probably be Jimi Hendrix And I've come as close as anybody could like I played with every member of Jimi Hendrix's bands from the band of gypsies to the Jimi Hendrix experience you know Mitch Mitchell Noel Redding buddy miles Billy Cox All those guys, and you know, the only guy I didn't play with was Jimmy himself. But I did get to play Jimmy's white Stratocaster that he played at Woodstock. Like I played the actual guitar, and so I feel like that's probably the next best thing to to playing with Hendrix himself. But you know, the guy is like you know one of the most far out guitar players ever, even to this day. And so you know, I I think just to be able to uh, to to vibe off of that in person would be an incredible experience.
0: Yeah. What do you think the worst gig you've ever done is? I don't know.
2: Here, have they all been fantastic?
0: <laughs> You'd be very lucky. <laughs>
2: well, no, no, no. I'm sure there have been some bad ones. But here's the thing: the way my brain works, yeah, it's like this uh, protective mechanism that kind of blocks out the bad stuff, uh, in, I probably in in every aspect. So, like you know, I tend to like if there's a really bad experience with the show, I, I just don't really retain that information. Yeah. It just kind of yeah. move on. I I tend to, to really just uh, involuntarily focus on the more positive things. So I'm sure there's been some bad ones. I do remember doing a gig a lot, and it wasn't that it was a horrible gig. I just remember this is when I was still uh, a relatively unknown artist, and I was still doing, like, when we did a, a show, it was like they pay us $200, and I had, like, five or six guys in the band, and so everybody's going home with, I don't know, 20 or yeah. $40 a piece. And this mm. was like... I feel like it was Christmas Eve, or it was just some really weird gig, you know, right before Christmas. It was, I think it was Christmas Eve. And like, literally nobody showed up, you know. And I was like, okay, note to self never play another gig that close to Christmas because like it's <laughs> a complete way. Nobody wants to go see live music when they're supposed to be at home, right, you know, yeah. getting the, putting the presents under the tree for their children, you know? Yeah. Like, things like that. But I don't think we've ever had a really horrendous gig. Because to me, making music is one of the
0: happiest moments of my day, you know? I was <laughs> really glad to hear it, man. Um, so I guess you won't be gigging around Christmas time. Then, what, is big family Christmas for you guys? Yeah, for me, I mean, we have a large
2: family now. And so, obviously, yeah, those kinds of uh, holidays are... Certainly reserved for family time.
0: Do you have to put on the Santa suit or? Uh... No,
2: I, I don't think I would. <laughs> I mean, even if I was like, you know, in my 70s, I don't think I would ever look quite right in the Santa suit. My dad, on the other hand, he could probably, he could probably sport the Santa suit pretty well. <laughs> well, wow. He's even got the beard and the gray really? hair. He's and... already there then. Yeah. yeah. Oh.
0: Uh, very last question. What could be next? What are you aspiring to now? I'm thinking... That's what I want to do. That's where I want to be. I mean, you've done so well. You've done so much. But what's next? Well,
2: one of my biggest goals right now is continuing to grow our fan base over here. Um, You know, we have spent the past several years. Like, I first came to Europe in the 90s and I came twice. And then after that, it was many, many years where we did not come back to the UK or Europe. And what was. What's changed is that now through the internet and social media, you have this direct line of communication with your fans. And so I didn't realize that there was such a a fan base for this music over here. And then once, you know, the internet and, you know, email and and the websites and then social media, then I started getting bombarded with people saying, why are you not coming over here? Why are you not? And I was like, I had no idea that they wanted us to come Uh, over here, right? And then I saw other artists um, in the genre coming over here and and like really establishing a, a large fan base. And I'm like, oh, there's a there is a market for this music over here. So we, a few years ago, several years ago, just started, you know, to really make a commitment. Like we're gonna come, we're gonna bring our brand of blues blues rock to the fans over there, and we're gonna start cultivating and building on our fan base. And and every time we've come back, it's grown and it's gotten bigger and bigger. And, you know, really that's one of my biggest goals at the top of my list is to continue working our way up and to get to some of those historic venues over here in Europe, you know, the real prestigious venues to because I think it says something. I mean, obviously it says something about the artist, but it also says something about the genre, you know, for blues. Anytime you get a person like Beth Hart just played at yeah. the Royal Albert Hall last year, Bonamassa plays the Royal Albert Hall. Anytime you have an artist in this kind of genre playing in a prestigious venue like that. It not only says something about them, but it says something about the genre and its relevance, you know, as well. And so just to continue to make my contribution to the genre and to the fans over here and build on that, you know, we have a a really clear um, goal, you know, in mind of like trying to build this up. And, you know, there's there's fans. The fans are like they love this music. It's not like artist-specific. It's not like you can only be a Beth Hart fan or you yeah, can only yeah. be a Joe Bonamassa fan. It's like they love the music in general and they love the people that pour their passion into making this music. And so there's room for all of us to be successful and to, you know, enjoy uh, bringing our music to the people over here. And we just want to do that as well.
0: Fantastic. Kenny, it's been so good talking to you, man. We've run out of time. Uh, just thank you so much for, uh, for chatting with us. It's been uh, fantastic. Uh, one very quick last question. You... Joe Bonamassa, who would win in a fight?
2: I mean, I, I don't think that's I don't, I don't think that's for me to answer. And you know, uh, I don't think we would ever find the two of us in a fight. Actually, so too much
0: to talk about, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, we get along really great, and yeah. Uh, yeah, we have lots in common. So I don't think it's much worth fighting about between the two of us. We have too many things that we agree on.
1: That was Big Boy Bloater there talking to the one and only Kenny Wayne Shepherd. He sounded like an awesome guy, Bloat.
0: Yeah, he was really nice, really, really nice. Really chatted. You know what? The thing was as well, it was we were pushed for time. He had to go off and do a sound check, uh, a show. And um, I think if he hadn't have done that, we could have sat there talking ages about cars and stuff like that. But um, you know, the, the 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 work side always gets in the way, doesn't it? Yeah. What are you going to do?
1: Does and you weren't able to sort of persuade him to try and you know do up your Chevy for you. sadly my Chevy is long gone and I think it would be even beyond his powers uh... (laughs) well that's a massive shame but do make sure everyone listening that you follow us on social media you can find us on Facebook at the blues podcast official and on Instagram at the blues podcast now yeah and don't
0: forget give us some thumbs up and some likes and uh, share the love tell all your friends about the blues podcast so until next time it's bye from the blues podcast cheerio
1: bye